Hi there, I'm your host Macaulay Tucker and you're listening to The Macaulay Tucker Show, the podcast where I sit down with some of the most accomplished and fascinating individuals in the entertainment and business industry. From celebrities to industry leaders, our guests offer unique perspectives and inspiring stories that will educate and inform you. Join me as I sit down with my next guest to cover their humble beginnings, challenges they face, as well as their accomplishments in life. You are bound to learn something new, so sit back and enjoy the interview. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show. Today, we've got a very special guest, Bob Bergen. Bob Bergen is the voice of Porky Pig from the Looney Tunes, and he's been involved in the voice uh, industry, voice acting industry for many, many, many years, from doing commercials to Hollywood movies to be doing voices even on television. So today in this episode, we're breaking down his life, just the accomplishments he's had, uh, and most importantly, the lessons he's learned and the challenges he's faced. And I really think you'll enjoy this interview a lot. So sit back and enjoy the show. I know people have said in the times past, I know one individual said that you would make an excellent lawyer. Uh, but for you, like what, why voice acting? Uh, what was it about the ability to shape and manipulate one's voice? Such a cool thing. Why did this interest you in particular? Well, I will tell you that originally I didn't know it was voice acting that I was interested in. What I was interested in uh, was cartoons. Right. And I was just uh, entertained by them. But I also, by watching them, uh, I, I knew I found I had this ability to to do them. Um, I was a big fan of the old black and white Fleischer Popeye cartoons. I was a big fan. And, and it was the comedy. Right. It was it was it was the comedy of these cartoons, Looney Tunes, obviously. Um, and my mother used to tell a story when I was really young. Uh, Saturday morning, uh, she'd be in the kitchen doing dishes and she would hear in the living room the cartoons. And she would hear a line from a cartoon and she'd hear the line again, which she thought was odd. And she kept hearing that over and over again. She stood behind me and she saw me mimicking the cartoon back to the TV. Wow. And um, I, I didn't even know I was doing that. I was just doing that. And I, that was my first, I guess, voiceover class, if you want to think about it that yeah. way. And I didn't know there was a business called voiceover. I didn't know, there, that, I didn't know this was acting. Yeah. I was just enamored by cartoon characters. So... I took them with me to school. I took them with me to, to Cub Scouts. I, any chance I could, and, and in particular, Porky Pig, that was, my, that was my favorite. And any chance I could, I would just do that character for fun. So yeah. that's literally what got me into it. I didn't know, find out it was a business right. until much later. That's really fascinating. I, you mentioned, you know, growing up and watching these shows and uh, comedy and, you know, just recreating those voices. Uh, me as growing up as well, I, I would try to do that uh, when I was a little bit younger. I'd also do the same. And that stood out to me when you when you were answering that question. It's just really awesome to see that you were able to uh, practice and, you know, perfect the skill. Um, I know growing up, you also uh, were able to perfect the lyrics to the Partridge, uh, Partridge Family uh, music as well. So it looks as if you were able to practice, you know, and put perfect your skills and in, in almost everything um, at that age. Um, you know, growing up, we are shaped by our family. And I know you were uh, given your uh, Jewish heritage. Can you kind of discuss uh, how this uh, impacted your work uh, growing up? I don't know if it impacted my work. It certainly impacted my values. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say that we were the most uh, uh, religious family on the block. Uh, we were more traditional Right. Uh, cer certainly like an occasion Jew, um, like, you know, the high holidays, definitely Passover, Hanukkah, 
but we also did Christmas because my parents were also were raised with both. You know, they had a right. menorah and a Christmas tree because um, it was fun for kids. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, um, my parents were 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 uh, value driven people, and I'm value driven. So in that, but I will tell you that you know when we moved to LA and I was pursuing this business, my mom would have Passovers where I wouldn't. My mom's rule was for there was Passover or Thanksgiving, whoever is hungry and doesn't have a place is welcome here. Mm-hmm. But our Passovers were. Uh, Bill Farmer, who was the voice of Goofy, and Billy Hayes, who was on a show that you don't even know called H.R. Puff and stuff. She played a witch. And all of my friends who did funny voices. And uh, have you ever done a Passover Seder? No, I don't think I have. Okay, well, a Passover Seder is basically telling the story of uh, the Exodus. And everybody reads out of the, the book called the Haggadah, which tells the story of how Moses freed the slaves out of Egypt. Oh, wow. But in our house, everybody read in funny voices. Huh. So, um, I, my mother, <laughs> it was standing room only and we had a list of people put me on their list. I'd love to come to that, but my mother would not let me uh, ever invite uh, devout Jews because she was afraid they'd be insulted. Yeah. But you know, it was fun. We had a good time. You, you were talking about values and that's one, that just kind of sparked a question. Uh, I'd love to ask this. What are some of your values? What are the values that you that are really near and dear uh, to your, to your heart? I'd love Great to hear about question. that because you seem to be very interested in values. And I too, values are very important and they're very, and people should bear values more. And I want to hear right. what values such are close to your heart. Such a, such a great question. Um, ah, man, there's so many, I don't know where to start, but let's start with hard work. Let's start with uh, uh, victims never prosper. Um, wake up every day looking to be a victim and you will never be happy. Happiness is a choice. It is, it is sometimes you're having the most miserable day of your life, but you go outside with a smile on your face because you owe that to people. Um, everybody has had, uh, lousy things happen in their life. Um, I was born with part of my leg missing and I had a sister who was injured in a car accident and left brain damage at three. And I had a mother who was dealing with both of these things. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, understandably, uh, depressed. Right. And then she realized, I can't be depressed. I've got to be happy. I've got to be there for my kids. And she forced herself, she told me the story, she forced herself to go out every day, get dressed, look pretty, uh, be presentable, look like she is enjoying life. And even if she doesn't feel like it, put a fake smile on her, on your face. And she said, she realized one day, oh my gosh, that was a real smile. I wasn't faking it. Um, my parents taught me, um, that I'm, by the way, I, I, I walk, I mean, I was, I was, they were told I I may not, I did, you know, all my parents did when I was very, 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 very young was hold up a cookie and I came running for it. You know, they were, they were like, if this doesn't make them walk, nothing will. Mm -hmm. But they taught me to look, you're not special because of your your bad foot you're not uh somebody to pity because of your bad foot they um they we went to the public pools and my parents said look kids are going to stare that's normal they're going to ask questions they might even giggle that's normal they they may be embarrassed that's normal too how you react to that is in your power right. so they taught me empathy by 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 knowing how not to treat people by the way I was treated. Um, We're living in a society today that puts so much emphasis on words 
that kids don't know the value of sticks and stones, that you have the, the ability to ignore the idiots. Mm -hmm. um, the, the values that they taught me uh, with sticks and stones, which everybody used to uh, live by it until the internet, um, it gave me a thick skin to be an actor. Right. Because look, uh, odds of booking are very slim, no matter where you are in your career. I auditioned for a busy day. I might read for 10, 15 things. <laughs> I don't expect to book any of them. Yeah. If I do, that's icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. All I want to do is have fun in my audition. But that thick skin is, is, is something that everybody, whether you want to be an entertainer or if you want to be a school teacher or an attorney or a doctor or a, 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 a great parent, you got to have a thick skin. Otherwise, every little thing's going to bug you and you're just going to wake up every day being a victim, which goes back to the value of don't be a victim. So you and I could talk about just the values that I took from my parents uh, for, for about four or five hours. That's crazy. which, boy, I got to tell you, I wish I wish more people uh, in, in the world uh, lived their life with values rather than feelings, because doing the right thing doesn't always feel good. But looking back, you're going to go, oh, you know why that does feel good? Because I did the right thing. But right. in the process of doing it might be painful, might be. It's like, you know what it is. It's like, you know, calling somebody when 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 when, when they lose a loved one, mm -hmm. it may feel awkward. It may not be comfortable to do, it may, but it's the right thing to do. Exactly. You know, if, if, if a friend of yours get books, the voiceover job, it was between you and your friend, you call and congratulate them. And you're happy for them. Be happy for your competition. I'm thrilled when I have a student that books. It means I did my job right. It doesn't happen often. Right. Because, you know, I've been teaching for 30 something years. Not everybody is going to pursue at the professional level. But the handful that have, man, when, I, when I'm sitting next to them at a job, boy, is that cool. That, but, you know, people, some people might be envious. Some people might be jealous. Some people might be angry. Well, boy, what a miserable person you will be. So my parents uh, instilled that kind of character value in me. Right. You said a lot of very important things there, and I really appreciate you uh, share, sharing that. I feel like our listeners will uh, really appreciate hearing this. And it, it definitely must have been challenging uh, growing up in that situation, but it's very good that you were able to to pull through, be able to uh, apply these values to your life. And at same here, I I, I believe people uh, should have values more and exactly they shouldn't, they should have thick skin. Um, and it's, you know, we, we live in a world exactly like you said, where people just, you know, everything kind Kind of you know victims and things like that um but growing up it's it's very important to to have parents that that care for you and, and it's really great to hear that you you were in that same situation and i was going to ask you you're you're mentioning the the way you were raised uh doing voices was this kind of a thing that helped you get your mind away from all the the uh stuff that was happening around you no <laughs> i wish i had a better answer than that it didn't it was just um it was just a part of me um right now um I was, I was a bit of a class clown. I was not, I was not an evil child. I was a mischievous child. <laughs> so, you know, when a teacher would ask me a question in like kindergarten, first grade, you know, um, you know, if, if, if you have two apples and I give you two more apples, how many apples do you have? And I would always just throw out Porky Pig. Let me get this straight. If I have a, a, a two apples and you gave me the, the, the two more, 
I'd have a little boy, I'd have a little boy, I'd have this many. So, and for people who are not watching this, I held up four fingers. And I'd go to the principal's office. And the principal, throughout my, my school, uh, my, my time in school, each principal at each school would say, you know, let me hear what you did. And I would do it. And they'd laugh and they'd catch themselves laughing and they'd say, look, you can't do that. Or I would imitate, I would mimic a teacher back to a teacher. Oh, my word. I, I know, I know. I would do that like in, 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 in junior high. And I'd go to the principal and I would mimic the teacher to the principal. The teacher would laugh. I, so actually, I would get detention if I did a lousy, lousy impression. That was, I had one, one principal, if I did the lo a lousy impression, go, nah, I got to give you at least a day's uh, detention. That was really bad. But okay, <laughs> well, you know, I'll work on it. And, and that's what I did in detention. You're sitting there doing nothing. You're supposed to be doing your homework. I'm thinking, how, wow, how did I, how did I, Mr. Rothbard, I thought I did him really well, but I guess I didn't. So, so yeah, I made, I made it work for me. That that's real. That's really great to hear. That, that that's actually really funny. I wasn't expecting anything like that. I my, my last guest was talking about the same thing. You know, kind of at school. Um, you know, he would do sound effects. And would people ever ask you to like do do voices? I assume uh, the students knew about this, so they'd probably often ask you, "Hey, can you do this voice? Can you do that voice?" That must have been a, a great experience at school. Must have also been kind of annoying at times if people were always uh, pestering you about this. Um, growing up, you moved. Uh, you moved. And you moved to I believe Los Angeles. If I. I'm correct. Mm -hmm. uh, you moved to Los Angeles at 14, was it? Well, I didn't personally go. My dad took a job here. Okay. So, you know, when you're 14 and you, you were 14, not too long ago. And, you know, usually when, when you're, when your parents say, listen, we have to move and you're in like, you know, junior high, the last thing you want to do is leave. You know, you've got friends, you've got a social life. Um, my dad's informing me and my sister that we're moving to LA, which is where cartoons are made. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, dad, don't tease me. Really? Really? We're moving to LA? And my, my dad was uh, commuting back and forth. Uh, uh, I think he told us we're moving like in March, but we didn't actually move until the summer. Because right. my parents didn't want me to, to to leave in the middle of a school year, so he would go back and forth. But when he would when he would come to L.A., I would say, "Do me a favor," um, and this is a horrible thing to ask, but he did it. I said, go, wait, "Just go to a phone booth and go to the Yellow Pages." And for people who don't know, the Yellow Pages were uh, a, a business resource. The White Pages were residential. Uh, how do you how do you got phone numbers? I said, Dad, rip out A for animation or C for cartoons and just bring me the phone numbers of these studios. So when I when when I get to LA, I've got some research. And he did. And I had, you know, uh, H for Hanna Barbera, W for Warner Brothers, D for Disney. I had I had the main uh, uh, phone numbers. And I was I was delighted that he did that. And I feel bad for anybody who's going to those phone booths, looking up D and like, where's D? How, who would rip this out? My dad did. Yeah. I was reading about that in your bio. You like would call, you called people like all the time uh, when you were, when you were younger. Um, and I, I was looking back and I was thinking, I've been doing that a lot recently in the sense that uh, for interviews, just, it's just awkward at times too, uh, calling managers and publicists and just on the phone and saying, Hey, it's me. I'm, I'm calling from Canada. And it's just like, wow, this is so, this is so different, but you, you were really wanting to, to work in this field. And now look, well, we, we didn't, we, we didn't have the internet. Yeah. We didn't have email. You know, I mean, today, very few people are 
not on social media. Or so the, I, in my business, um, you want to pop a message to Rob Paulson or Candy Milo or Jeff Bergman, Maurice LaMarche. Not only can you, but they'll probably respond because they're also really nice people. And, you know, the collective us that do cartoons, um, I used to do on camera acting, theatrical right. acting. I stopped because it got in the way of my voiceover career. But man, a very different community of, of actors, not nearly as uh, as generous or genuine, uh, more jealous and um, kind of bitter. But uh, man, when, when, before the, uh, the, the pandemic, when we would record together, ensemble, it was a mutual admiration society. It was the world's greatest voiceover class because I'd sit there and listen to Dee Bradley Baker or uh, or Candy or Debbie Derryberry, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'm taking notes because that was good," you know. And, right. and and you know, in between takes, you look at each other and go, "That was great, holy cow!" But you know, that's that's the nature of the voiceover industry. Going back to what you said, right? Uh, we're all reachable, but back then it was the telephone. That's the only way to reach people. So I've told the story a million times. So I called Mel Blank and I, and yeah. I, and I called, and I called Dawes Butler and I called Casey Kasem. I just, I did. And yeah. I figured, I figured, look, if you want to be a brain surgeon, call the top brain, brain surgeon at Cedar sinai or UCLA. Um, if you want to be uh, anything, you want to be a, a top chef back then, find Julia Child's phone number and give her a buzz. You know, the worst thing that happens is they don't take your call or they hang up on you, but they probably won't, especially if you're a nice uh, teenager Yes, who's, I, who's respectful because people are excited by ambitious, nice and driven youth. It yes. is just, it's like a magnet, you know, like you, we, we were talking before we started mm -hmm. recording, I was just drawn to your enthusiasm and your gift of gab and your, uh, 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 ambition. Thank you. With this, with this gift of gab, uh, that is, uh, you know, people are are drawn to passionate people. Yes, exactly. And then you just got to establish that. It's definitely difficult. Like when I was younger, when that mentioned before we, you know, did the interview, just emailing people at first, they don't know, oh, this, this they think it's a, a grown adult. And they realize, oh, it's a teenager that instantly kind of switches the whole, the whole mood. And they're like, well, no, nah, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. And they don't really treat you normally. And it's, de it's definitely difficult, but you mentioned, you know, there was no internet. So you were just calling on the phones. And I know in your bio, you talked about how Mel Blanc and this all just kind of worked out for you. Um, Kind of uh, fast forward. Um, I wanted to kind of briefly talk about before you start pursuing voice acting professionally, uh, you had a few different things that happened. I don't, not in this particular order, uh, but you were a tour guide at Universal. And that, I thought that stood out to me. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty cool, cool thing. I'd love to talk about that briefly before we go into a lot of the voice acting related questions. Um, working, you know, as a tour guide at Universal, you also were uh, working on uh, Jeopardy. And that was also a pretty cool thing that stood out to me, aside from the voice work and even uh, hosting the Hollywood Christmas Parade. And that was that was pretty cool, too. That, those are all really awesome things. I wanted to hear about um, kind of the uh, the lessons that you learned in kind of all these three different things. Was there any really valuable lessons that you took away from these experiences? They're all very different. There's very different things that come with these experiences. But what yeah. did you take away? Well, uh, let's start with the tour guide. Um, before I was a tour guide for one summer, I was a puppeteer at Six Flags Magic Mountain. 
Right. And I was uh, some of the, the most delightful people I've ever worked with. It was a hard job because, you know, you're in costumes and walking around in the heat, but I'm, it's improvisation with puppets. I was in a tent with a, with a, a screen in front of my face and the puppet would be in front of the tent. So I would, I was literally chatting with guests as different puppets. It was so much fun, great training, but a bunch of us would sit in our break room and talk about, man, wouldn't it be cool to be a tour guide at Universal? Right. And uh, a couple of us uh, applied to be a tour guide. You know, you, you, you go through uh, testing and then training and then, uh, in my training class, I think there were 36 people in the training class. I think uh, 16 of us ended up were test got to the point to to test because they would they, they would they would get rid of you as you went along if they didn't think you could cut it. And I think only about maybe four or five of us passed. Oh wow! And um, what did what did being a tour guide teach me? Is that what you asked though? About yeah, the like like the it? lessons that you learned from this whole experience. That everything you do has opportunity beyond the day-to-day -day of what you're hired to do or what you're there to do. Uh, for instance, um, I was I had access to uh, 420 acres of a movie studio. Most people wanted their days off to be on the weekend, just to have the weekend free. I wanted uh, two days off during the week because on my days off, I would go back to Universal and they allowed guides to do this back then. I don't know if they still do, but as long as you wore your tour guide uniform, I could go on the back lot and just wander and watch TV shows and movies being filmed. I could go in the sound stages and watch interiors being shot. And I struck up conversations with Anthony Perkins when he was directing Psycho 3. And I would find the, uh, the uh, mixers doing ADR which is automated dialogue replacement. It's adding voice back to film. And they would let me sit back and watch actors have to sync themselves or group actors doing group background voices way before I, I ever did that professionally. Um, I learned how to hit your mark. I learned what a best boy and a gaffer was. I learned set design. I, I saw really horrible behavior and really mm -hmm. wonderful behavior. I saw the biggest of the biggest celebrities and stars being, I, I remember watching Dom DeLuise, Dom DeLuise being directed by Burt Reynolds for a show called Amazing Stories that Steven Spielberg produced. Right. And I watched how nice they were to everybody, to the um, uh, the costume people, the makeup people, uh, the, 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 the craft service people where they would get a donut first thing in the morning. And then I saw the actors that nobody knows being total jerks. And it, it, it taught me behavior. It taught me the industry. I saw, oh, you're never late. And you and you and you stay late. If you're a half hour early, you're a half hour late because you should have been there an hour ago. Um, I learned I watched actors have trouble getting it right. And a great director putting their arm around them and say, okay, good. I like that. This time try it that way. The first thing they did was to boost their ego and that and then they adjusted them so the actor felt safe to be adjusted. I would have never learned any of this had I not been a tour guide at Universal Studios.
That's beautiful. And that career, that just sounds like an awesome, just like that job sounds really awesome. That'd be one that I mean, I would be definitely interested in doing because if you're one who wants to go into the film industry, why not get a behind the scenes look at that by being a tour guide in that kind yeah. of area? Um, yeah. That just, that's awesome. And even Jeopardy too, that sounds like an awesome experience too. Being on camera, uh, you mentioned earlier that you, you know, stopped doing plays and kind of theatrical stuff to do uh to do voice work but being able to kind of be on camera and have a show i guess be a host of a show that's just such a yeah. such a cool experience to have um and it's really awesome to hear all these values and after this you then began to pursue i believe voice work professionally um and you you did you got the role of porky pig and that's that's awesome people the difficult part back then was that everything had to be in person right. We do. We have home studios now. Auditions are from home. Work is from home. We, I never did cartoons from home until COVID. But um, we used to go to our agent's office to audition. I had I had to make up excuses to leave Universal right. to 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 go to auditions and to work. I mean, when I was doing on camera, um, and this came from being a tour guide, I would just go knocking on the casting director's doors during lunch. Can I read for something today? And I, and, I, and I remember this one casting director said, if I let you read, will you stop bugging me? I said, sure. And he gave me a script to read and he goes, well, darn, that was good. <laughs> and he passed me on to the producers and I got, uh, that, that was, I think the first on-camera job was, was an episode of The Facts of Life. But I called in sick for five days to do it. And my trailer was along the path of where the trams went. And if I heard a tram come by, I had to hide in my trailer because I couldn't let them know I was working because I told them I was sick because yeah. they wouldn't actually, most actors, most tour guides who were actors didn't book the job. So they'd let you go to auditions. But then if you book the job, you're like, well, you can't take five days off. That took five days to do a set contract. Right. Um, so I got that from being a tour guide. The Jep thing, Jep was the name of the show that I did, which was a kid's version of Jeopardy. That was a flip. Oh. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a one hit. It wasn't even a hit. It only lasted one season, but I'm a one game show host wonder. Um, I got that because I did a movie called space jam yes. back in the nineties. And I was in New York doing a talk show uh, to promote the movie. And I got a call from uh, an agent who represents hosts. And she said, look, um, I, you, our client, uh, was the host of that show and you held your own and you did a great job. Have you ever thought of hosting? And I said, no, not really, but thank you for asking. And I told my voiceover agent this, and my voiceover agent said, don't be an idiot. If they know your face, I can get you more for your voice. So I called the hosting agent back and I said, okay, look, this was during the days of Jerry Springer and people throwing chairs and angry talk shows and not something I was interested in participating right. in i thought that was trash tv entertaining but garbage and i told the agents look I, I won't do this i won't do this i won't do this but if you still want me let's figure this out and the first audition they sent me on was this kid's version of jeopardy same producers as the the primetime jeopardy i think it was just called junior jeopardy at the time eventually it was called jeb right and i didn't macaulay i didn't care <laughs> i didn't want it so I went to the audition thinking, well, this is a joke, but my agent sent me. And I, I, I watched Jeopardy. I'd never memorized it. I wasn't that kind of a fan. <laughs> so I went to the first audition and just kind of went through the motions and had a good time. <laughs> and then they gave me a callback and then another callback. And then it was between me and two other guys and they wanted to screen test me. Right. 
And the screen test was to run an episode of Jeopardy on the stage, on the Jeopardy stage at Sony. And I'm like, okay. So the three kids that they brought in to to run through this, there wasn't a real show, it was just a run through. They were children of Sony executives. Okay. And I watched up to, I walked up to the kids at the podiums and you know, people think the, think the Jeopardy show I walked up from, from the, from the podium to where they, their podiums. I said, kids make me look good. I'll buy you each a car. <laughs> and they said, and they said, okay. And one, and one of the, and I didn't even know what the categories were going to be until I got there. It was a very, very cold uh, run through, right. but one of the categories was famous cartoon characters. <gasps> and, and, and the clue would be, uh, he lives in Jellystone Park with Boo Boo, and he's smarter than the average bear. Who is Yogi Bear? Correct. Uh, his girlfriend is olive oil. Oh, and he likes spinach. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Popeye? Okay. Well, one of the writers comes up to me after that run through and says, "Forget this. Have you ever thought about voiceover?" <laughs> and I said, "That's my day job." They had no idea because nobody, the left hand, doesn't know what the right hand is doing. They didn't know my voiceover career. My my hosting agent didn't promote my voiceover career. No. They just sent me to read for this thing because I looked the part. Wow. I got the job. I bought each of the kids a Matchbox car. <laughs> I didn't tell them what kind of car I was going to buy them. Okay. I, I, I bought them. Uh, excuse me one second. I bought them a Matchbox car. And um, I will tell you that it was the most rewarding and difficult job I've ever done because you do five shows a day and I was my own announcer. Um, I remember looking in the, they have a primping mirror backstage before you walk out. And I remember looking at myself going, why are you doing this to yourself? I, if you notice, I don't shave that often because I'm a voice guy. I had to shave. I had to wear makeup. I had to go clothes shopping. I had to wear a wardrobe. I had to memorize stuff. Why am I doing this? Um, and it was the most difficult, rewarding thing I ever did in my career. At the time, I was the voice of Disney right. Channel. And, you know, that was that was a big time, full time job because I was there five to eight hours a day, Monday through Friday as the promo guy for Disney Channel. I was working while we were shooting Jep. We shot on weekends for, I think, three months. I was working seven days a week. Wow. You know, for three months. But I was, dude, I was young. You know, when you're young, that doesn't it doesn't phase you. Um, but um it also was at the just the very beginning in the host world where they didn't they stopped hiring hosts or MCs and they started hiring actors yes. you know actors who have who are well known to host things so i didn't i found i wasn't able to book more because they didn't want a host right. They wanted uh, a well-known celebrity. The, one of the last auditions I ever did, um, I, I went in to test for oh, I can't, The Mole. And I think it was on ABC. I think Anderson Cooper ended up booking it. But I'm sitting at, in the lobby at uh, the Sunset Gower Studios across from this young, attractive, skinny dude. Um, and... This, the mole is a rugged, outdoorsy sort of competition thing. And I'm, I'm a wimp. I'm not outdoorsy at all. And I'm sitting across from this guy who looks much more athletic than me. And I looked at him and I said, um, 
dude, I have to tell you this, this job is yours because this is not me. And I said, he goes, Oh, it's, it's not me either. <laughs> um, I, I said, I just came off of hosting a kid's game show. He goes, me too. <laughs> I said, okay, well, wh- listen, good luck. And I walked into audition for this and the, the producer says to me, by the way, you're not going to book this, but we wanted to hear Porky Pig oh audition for the word. <laughs> I said, are you serious? And they, they were like, yeah. I said, okay. Hey, by the way, I figure, well, I'm not right for this, but I'm going to have fun with these people. And they had a sense of humor. Maybe I'll get something else from it. So I auditioned. I walked back out to the lobby. I said, dude, first of all, you're, you're, you you got a better shot than I. And I told him what went down. I said, by the way, I'm Bob Bergen. He goes, really nice to meet you. I'm Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> and I said, I said, break a leg, Ryan. And I said, he goes, what game show did you, are you, are you doing? I said, it's called Jeff. It's a kid's version of Jeopardy. He goes, I'm doing one called click. It is a, it's, it is, it's created and produced by uh, Merck Griffin who created and produced Jeopardy at the time. Uh, not at that time, years right. ago. So um, Ryan did okay for himself in the world of hosting. Just saying. Yeah, that's crazy. I never knew how big of a, how this was involved in your whole story. And you kept doing voice acting through all of this. You you kept, you mm-hmm. kept working in through, and you've done lots of projects. You've done lots and lots of projects. And I wanted to ask this question because I know you've talked about Porky, Porky Pig so much, so much. And I wanted to ask you, besides Porky Pig, what project in particular, no matter how small the role was, is your, well, is one of your favorites like that you had a great time working on? Because you've done so many. It could be commercials, movies, TV shows. And you talk about Porky Pig all the time, and it's an amazing role. But out of all the stuff besides that, is there one that stands out to you the most? I wouldn't say one, but certainly um, when I was the voice of Disney Channel, that was a blast. Because, okay. because uh, you know, you're the promo voice, but you have to you have to establish a brand for the network, which is a group effort because you've got network executives and producers who are directing you. It's hard work. Because um, I remember when I first got that job, uh, a bumper is a lead in and lead out. So uh, just just before a commercial, uh, don't go away. Goof Troop will be right back right here on Disney. We now return to Goof Troop right here on Disney. Don't go away. The Mickey Mouse Club will be right back. So my first day, I had to do like hundreds of those. Wow. Because they, 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 were, they had to slowly uh, integrate me into the network. Well, after 300, don't go away. <laughs> Goof Trip will be right back. We now return to Goof Trip. And, and they're like, no, 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 no. You, as far as the audience is concerned, they've never heard you say this. You've got to be peppy. Oh, okay. So that was a, a valuable lesson and a good lesson and a fun lesson. Um, and you don't get screen credit when you're a promo right. voice. So nobody knows you're doing it, you know, but it's it was a lot of fun. Um Animation wise, man, I remember back in the eighties, I did the animated version of Fraggle Rock. Yes, for for Henson Productions, and that was just because a you're working on a Jim Henson uh, uh, product. I was working with writers and producers uh, Cynthia Friedlob and John Semper, who to this day are some of my favorite people on the planet, favorite people to work with, and the most incredibly talented people I've ever worked with, and a cast. Rob Paulson, Townsend Coleman, uh, Mona Marshall, Pat Penny, Barbara Goodson, uh, John Stevenson, who was Mr. Slade on the Flintstones. I mean, it was just so 
amazing. Also only lasted one season, oh. but it was just a pure delight to work on that. I did a movie called The Emperor's yes. New Groove where I played yes. a squirrel. I, I just played a little squirrel <laughs> and he didn't speak English. He, he spoke squirrel. And from a creative standpoint, that was just amazing. Tiny little part. I was hired for one day that when they tested the movie, they wrote more stuff because he got a good response from the test audience and I ended up doing three or four days. And then I did a straight to video uh, uh, sequel. And then I did three years on a series yeah. from that one little tiny part. So, um, oh my gosh, I don't know if you can see it, but that's, that's, that's a character yes. no face from, from Spirited Away. Uh, again, that was, I didn't audition for it. It was just go to Disney. They're doing a movie called Spirited Away. It's an anime that's being dubbed, but it's produced by Pixar and they want you. Okay. It was because so, the movie itself is just so creative. Yeah. And I, I didn't understand it. <laughs> I remember taking my manager at the time to the audience or the, the, the cast and crew screening and was over. She goes, what was that about? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> not, a, not a clue, but the fans seemed to like it. Um, man, I, I mean, I could go yeah. on and on and on about commercials that I did yeah. that were just, um, you know, I can remember the very first uh, uh, Air Jordan spot that we did that became eventually became Space Jam, where it was the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan. Um, you know, they were called Hair Jordan. And um, it was just, it was a Super Bowl spot. So let's start with that. Wow, we're doing a Super Bowl yeah. spot. And it just snowballed into a movie, a franchise. We did two or three, I think, of commercials like that. Um, and man, I got to tell you something, Macaulay. I've had more fun just auditioning on jobs I never booked than I have on, on a lot of jobs I've booked. Oh, wow. Because it's me. It's me in that booth over there. And nobody's there to tell me what I can't do. So I am at my creative best. And I've... I, I always tell my students, you got to get a high at the mic. Yes. You've got to, it, it, you can't audition to book it. You've got to just enjoy that creative high. Exactly. But you should enjoy that creative high. If you're an interviewer, enjoy that creative high. If you're uh, a painter, enjoy that creative high. If you're a school teacher, you've got to get a high at your job. And my job is to audition. Yes. If I book it, if I book it, it's a, it's a, it's a, a rare, lovely circumstance. Exactly. So. So I have just as much fun, creative fulfillment in an audition as I do on a job. It's very important to have, you know, make making every situation all like, you know, enjoyable and fun and never being bored. And that's what I really enjoy in my life. Just even the hardest and difficult of situations, just just having fun and, and having a ball. Um, and so for voices, yeah. I wanted to ask this. The voice acting industry is constantly evolving. Can you discuss how you've adapted to these changes uh, over your career, specifically in the relation uh, to the range of animated projects uh, you've worked on, uh, including both uh, classic and uh, modern characters? Because it's always changing. Has it been difficult for you to uh, to adapt to these changes? Not for me, because if you don't adapt, you don't stay relevant. Um, a perfect example of that is when silent movies uh, uh, became sound. And a lot of silent actors did not have great voices. Um, and they found that their careers floundered. A lot of silent actors had lousy voices, but they went to uh, dialect coaches and speech uh, specialists to adjust their voice for sound. Um, when I first got in the business, I did my first job in 1982. I had my first agent in 1982. That was when they started um 
when agents started having studios in their office and bringing in their clients to audition in their uh, office studio. A lot of veteran actors didn't like that because what you and I are doing right now, this eye contact, this connection um, is important. Yes. You know, you hear actors talking about, I'm great in the room. What is the room? It's the audition room. It's the casting director. It's the producer. It's the network. It's, it's the people. And, and I'm great in the room. But I got into this business as they were phasing out being in the room. And I knew some, some veteran actors who either refused to go to their agent's office and just kind of retired or um, begrudgingly did it. Right. And they brought in attitude. And they, they're, you know, a good agent is gonna, you know, like uh, Sharon Moonstruck with a, you know, slap in the face and say, snap out of it. This is how it's done today. I never had a problem reading in my agent's office. Um, the, and then demos were on reel to reel when I first got in the business. They went from reel to reel to cassette. A lot of actors hated to have to take, they might've just invested $5,000 in a handful of, of reel-to-reel demos. Now they have to do the same thing with cassette. And then they went to CD. Exactly. So this is the, the evolution of the voiceover industry. Right. Um, when I first got in the business, uh, there weren't a lot of cartoons being done. There were Saturday morning cartoons on three networks, the occasional syndicated cartoon. Disney might have done an animated feature once every five to seven years, not much. And I was told by everybody, it's impossible to break in because they've, they've got Mel Blanc. They've got June Foray. They've got Frank Walker. They've got Michael Bell. Uh, they don't need you. And I said, well, time will tell. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it anyway. And if, I, and if it doesn't work out in my favor, I'll do something else. Right. Um, cut to today. We have 24 seven animation cartoon networks. We have games. We have streaming animation. We have primetime animation. Every major motion picture studio has a thriving animation department. Today, there is more content out there than there ever has been in the history of the entertainment industry. Exactly. So there are more opportunities today than ever. Um, there's also more competition, but that's okay. Yeah. COVID hits. Um, I have a wonderful soundproof booth that I've auditioned in. I've done a few jobs in my booth. We never did cartoons from home. Right. We would have to go to the studio within 10 days and uh, about a $2,000 investment. I had a broadcast quality home studio and I was ready to go in less than two weeks because I knew if I want to stay relevant, I've got to do this. And I felt nothing but gratitude that with this little investment, and for some people, that's not a, that's not a little investment, but relative to, um, you know, uh, investing in a career from the beginning two grand, you know, two jobs pays for that. Two, two episodes of a cartoon pays for my investment. And I was already working on stuff. I had to be relevant. Right. I, they, we, we couldn't go into the studio. And voiceover was the only acting genre that kept going when, when COVID hit. Because theater shut down, mm -hmm. movies and TV on camera shut down, voiceover thrived. Exactly. And I was grateful to, to so, so again, from, from day one, real to real demos to cassette to working from home because of a pandemic who knew right. and this is the new normal i don't i don't see us ever going back to the studio mainstream yeah and if, in fact if i never have to go back into a studio again i'd be thrilled really? i can 
I, oh yeah. Um, I can work more because I don't have to drive the freeway. Right. I don't know if you know about LA freeways, but half of my day was spent going from one place to the other huh. where at home, uh, my agent can book more jobs during the day because I don't have to drive anywhere. Right. Um, I can actually look, I've got an hour and a half between now and my next job. I can fold. Yeah. I can market my career because I'm home at my computer. Uh, I love it. And I'm still connected to people because we're directed on Zoom. Exactly. You know, I've got some shows where they've got the full cast on Zoom and we're still reacting with each other. But, but I would say 99% of it, we're doing our line solo right. with, the, with the director. What I miss, though, is the lobby. I, I miss the lobby more than the ensemble work. I, because even before COVID, we were doing a lot of our stuff solo because we're all so busy. We can't get the whole cast together. I miss the lobby where I could hug. You know, how's your family? How are your yeah. kids? Oh my gosh, wasn't your kid applying to Harvard? What happened? You know, sitting in a lobby at a place like called Salami Studios and just striking up a conversation with Mark Hamill. Right. I mean, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> so, uh, or my friend Lorraine Newman. Um, and, you know, we talk to each other on social right. media, but it's not the same. That's what I really miss more than anything is that kind of connection or, you know, seeing the director and giving them a hug. You know, because they're all really yeah. cool, nice people and friends of mine. But man, I do love working from home. Yeah. Oh, I bet. And it's really, it's really great to hear that you were able to, you know, readjust to all these really major changes. And I know talking with other people, uh, they've enjoyed, you know, being in the same room talking with with the voice actor. But you're still able to do that too with Zoom. And it's really, it's really great to hear that you're able to do to do this and you're able to still be successful in voice work. Um, kind of, kind of almost wrapping up. One question that I had was. Uh, the Emmys. I was really curious about this. Uh, and I, I wanted to hear about this because I don't have any knowledge on how this kind of works. But from my understanding, governor's appointee, I'm not sure if that's what you do now. If you, I think you maybe have another role there. But what is your role at the Emmys? Kind of like for our listeners sake. And I just I don't know what that what that entails. Well, first of all, I've been a member of the Television Academy since the mid 90s. I served on the board of governors for 10 years. I'm not anymore. I, I was termed out last okay. year. And if I wanted, the way it works is um, you, if you've, if you've served two, two year consecutive uh, terms, if you want to run again, you gotta be, you gotta be sit out a year before you run again. I don't think I'm going to run again because 10 years is plenty. <laughs> and, and I, and I think it's important for, uh, for new blood, for new, for new ideas, for, for the next generation to come in. Um, but um, the Board of Governors, uh, we do everything from uh, oversee and regulate uh, the Emmy competition. Uh, sometimes that means, um, hey, this award has been around for a long time. Is it still needed? Right. Or the industry has changed so much that we don't need this award anymore. Um, or, hey, we need a new award because of things like streaming or uh, genres of, of television programming. For instance, uh, for the longest time, game shows were uh, daytime right. programming. Today, they're primetime. Right. So uh, during my time, my last year at the TV Academy, the Board of Governors uh, recognized that game shows deserve their own category, host uh, and uh, uh, recognition in the competition. So that is 
and it's a lot more than yeah. that, but I don't want to bore people. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was, I'm a big fan of TV. Right. I love television and being involved in recognizing and uh, honoring excellence, preserving the history of, and being conscientious about the future of is what it's all, what, what being on the board of governors is all about. Hearing your story, it's just so it's so interesting all the all the twists and turns and all the awesome things you experienced from being a universal tour guide to even being involved at the Emmys and it's just it's always always interesting sitting down with my guests and just hearing their their story and and our listeners the impact it's it's awesome. Uh with voice acting, um what's kind of one lesson you you learned through through voice acting? Kind that kind of ties with the question I always ask my guests towards the end is kind of like what is one piece of advice that you want to give to any number of the listeners listening typically i mean a lot of younger people listen but there's a lot of older people as well but like what's kind of one uh, piece of advice you can give to our listeners that you've learned through voice acting one is a hard number because there's so right. many but it's called voice acting for a reason it is not it's not just doing voices you know people are like hey everyone tells me i've got a great voice I really doubt that you're talking about agents, casting directors, producers <laughs> who've told you you have a good voice because they would never do right. that. It's usually uh, the bank teller or the checker at the grocery store or your mom or your <laughs> friends. Um, but this is voice acting. Right. Uh, the, the, the most important piece of advice I can give anybody that wants to do what I do is um, study acting. Study acting, study improv, then study voiceover right. and every genre of voiceover requires its own training, demo and marketing. Yes. Um, again, I did not have the internet when I was starting out, even studying. Um, I, you know, I got to a point where I was studying and getting ready to possibly pursue, make a demo, but I didn't know what a demo sounded like. So I would call talent agents, yeah. voiceover agents, and pretend to be a producer and say, hey, I'm producing something. Can you send me your, your, your client's demos? And back then, they had a thing called um, a house reel. It was a giant reel-to-reel -reel with a one-minute snippet of their top talent. And they would send it to me, and I would, oh, that's what a demo sounds like. Right. That's what a great demo sounds like. I've got to be better than that. Oh, my goodness. So... Today, everything's online. Right. Today, you can listen to Atlas Talent, CESD, DPN, Vox, uh, SBV, uh, uh, Dean Panero. You can listen to the top talent agents, actors, demos and go, I got to be better than that. Because if I'm not better than that, I'm going to send them my demo and they ain't going to want me because they, they don't need me. Right. So it's the A word acting. And also, you got to be brilliant. Yes, exactly. You've got You've got to be brilliant and you have to want, want this more than anybody else and be willing to do more than anybody else because they don't need you. They've got all the voices they will ever need. What they need is a brilliant you.